Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, December 10th, 2020. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. Happy holidays in advance for all the holidays this month. Tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. I'll be lighting a candle. Foreclosure and eviction moratoriums have been extended, but at the end of January, most of them will expire unless they are again extended. Maybe they will be, maybe they won't, I don't know. But at some point, these moratoriums are going to end. With each passing month, more scheduled payments will go unpaid, and that will be the excuse for filing tens of thousands of fake foreclosure actions. You need to be ready. Virtually all news outlets are running articles about the next tidal wave of foreclosures, sales, and evictions. Just like the 2008 meltdown, the securities brokerage firms that call themselves investment banks will be swarming all over homeowners like maggots. So my message is simple. Get prepared and stay prepared. They will try to steer you into foreclosure because that's what they want. Because every dollar that they receive from a forced sale of your property is going to bonuses and profits. The problem is that homeowners still don't understand that they have nothing to prove. They're still trying to prove things in court, and they get shot down. They only need to block the case against them. They don't need to make a case against the people who are seeking foreclosure. They can make a case later, but the important thing is to save the home, save your lifestyle, save your life, save your marriage. While it is a long and sometimes tedious process, to block the case, it really isn't that difficult. The biggest problem is homeowners still think they have a loan when in fact they received a payment for services that they already rendered. But they didn't know it and they still, for the most part, don't know it. Some homeowners are starting to get the message and those homeowners are writing to me that they're winning their cases. Without the services of the homeowner, the security schemes of Wall Street investment banks could never have occurred. Homeowners received on average around 8.5% of total revenue from the sale of securities. Those securities had nothing to do with ownership of the loan. 
but those securities used the data points on each loan as a reference point for the issuance of the security. That sounds like gibberish, I know. What I'm saying is that each security was really just a bet on the announcements that would follow from the investment bank that issued and sold the securities. None of the security, none of the investors who bought those securities ever purchased any loan. They never purchased any debt, note, mortgage, or payment, or anything. And they don't get any payment in the event of a successful foreclosure. The other side of the transaction consisted of people who refused to be lenders and who did not establish or maintain a loan receivable account for you. That means that what you are calling the bank was really a securities brokerage firm who refused and rejected any attempt to call themselves lenders. And they not only rejected any attempt to call them lenders, they erased all evidence of a loan receivable account on their accounting ledgers. So they didn't call themselves lenders. They didn't report themselves as lenders. And they had no loan account receivable on their books. Is that a loan? Did they report owning those loans? No. Payment received by the homeowner was payment to them disguised as a loan, which is why the homeowners agreed to pay it back because the homeowners wanted a loan, and that's what they thought they were getting. But if they had known they were, they were getting paid for a service, they never would have agreed to pay it back. Why would they? Why would anyone? So that free house everyone is talking about is not free. It is the minimum of compensation that homeowners should have received if they ever had had the opportunity to know what was going on. So tonight, again, I'm going to answer questions and um, and take questions. Uh, some have been written in to me, and uh, uh, I see a couple of people that already have uh, their hands up. Um, I guess I'll go to them first. So if your area code is 603 and your first three digits are 205, do you have a question? Hello, Neil. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes. I'm going to go with one of your canned questions, a little bit of a modification here. I've been served with a summons and a complaint for foreclosure filed by lawyers who say they're representing some sort of series of certificates. I was served quite a while ago. At this point, uh, I'm in mediation in good faith trying to work out a deal. I don't think it's going to work. It's going to go to litigation. So what do I do now to plan for the litigation? Well, first of all, you just said something which uh, sparked my interest. There are several different ways they introduce these claims. And one of them is by a lawyer saying he represents the certificate. Well, certificates are not people. They're not even virtual people or business entities. 
that are legal fictions under the law. Certificates are just pieces of paper. And they have no rights because they don't exist as a human being or as a legal person. So one of the first attacks probably ought to be on getting, uh, on filing a motion for more definite statement asking basically, are you saying that you represent the owners of these certificates? And if so, what's in the certificates that has conveyed to them an interest in my loan? Mm -hmm. But in any event, that type of thinking is what should govern what your defense narrative should be uh, pursuing. So what that means is that, and I'll repeat what I just said a, a few moments ago, you don't need to prove a case against them. You need to block their case against you. And the way you do that is by stopping them from introducing evidence and raising presumptions without rebutting those presumptions. Now, in many cases, right. if you've got a lawyer on hand, you can attack even the introduction of the exhibits, especially if you're dealing with an assignment, which you are because you've already told me there's a yeah. Uh, a securitization basis for your lawsuit. So yeah. if you look carefully at the signature block on the assignment, two things become apparent. One is that it's not apparent who was actually signing for who under what authority. And that may be a basis for attacking the facial validity of the document. You're not mm -hmm. saying that the document is substantively invalid. You're saying mm -hmm. that it's not facially invalid. So when you do that, what you're what you're the next step is, judge, I want you to acknowledge that this is facially invalid and therefore there is no um, um, legal presumption that arises from the document. If they want to prove the existence of the obligation that they say I owe, then they need to actually prove it without the use of, without just this document, they need to corroborate that with proof of payment of value for conveyance of ownership of the underlying obligation. And without going into much more detail, because this isn't a council, the, right. the, um, uh, that is the theme. Yeah. The, yes. the, all the evidence that we have accumulated over the last 14 years of what I've been doing here has revealed the complete, total absence of any evidence of ownership of the debt, note, or mortgage if securitization is anywhere involved because securitization is the sale 
of pieces of an asset to multiple investors. And your right. loan your loan has never been sold, at least not that way. Right. So so you want to attack <laughs> it assuming that's true, you therefore want to attack the so called trustee of the Remick Trust. You want to attack the trust, you want to attack the servicer. Because if there is no creditor, then the servicer is just a volunteer interloper who who should be kicked out of the uh, the action. So, what? Yeah, anything, go ahead, Neil. Anything else that you want to ask? Because I'm going to move on. Well, I could ask the whole 30 minutes, but I'm not going to do that. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate the help. All right. You're welcome. All right. So if your area code is 917 and your first three digits are 982, do you have a question? No, Neil. This is Victory in New York City. No matter this time. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Is this better? Is this better? Uh, it's a little better. Can you get closer okay. to the phone or something? Yes, I am as close as I can be. Uh, okay. I will not be asking any questions at this time. I'm just taking notes. Just taking oh, okay, notes. fine. All right. Thank you. Good enough. All right. So here's a few questions that I got in by text and, and emails that I want to answer. And if somebody else pops up on the board with, with a question, then uh, I'll try to get to that. The first one is, does my obligation still exist? The reality is that whether it was a loan or it was a business venture or a security scheme, or anything else you want to call it. Virtually all homeowners completed signing the documents that were presented to them, and among those documents was a promissory note. Under our laws, even if there was no transaction whatsoever, the execution of that note, signing the note, creates an obligation, even without any consideration at all. Now, there are restrictions on enforcing uh, the obligation created by a note. And but those restrictions disappear if somebody claims to have purchased the note for value in good faith and without knowledge of the maker's defenses. And the maker would be the person who signed it. And that person who signed it would, in the scenario I just described, have the defense of saying, well, I signed the note, but that was an exchange for the receipt of money, services, goods, whatever. And I never got them. So if the defense was raised by the maker, the maker would prevail 
unless the current owner of the note purchased the note for value in good faith and without knowledge of the maker's defenses. That's called a holder in due course. Now, why am I going through all that? Because I've arrived at the conclusion, as most of you know, that the transaction that was originated with you was not really a loan because the other side did not intend to be a lender and did not loan money and did not establish a loan account receivable. But the obligation may still exist. The on the first level of the analysis, I would say that the obligation does not exist anymore because the position taken by the other side is that this was a loan contract, and because it wasn't a loan contract, there is no contract. But expanding it out from there, reforming the whole thing to reflect all the realities of the transaction, it's possible that the payment to the homeowner was a payment for services and that the promise to pay money was a return of that payment for services. Now, it wasn't just a return of the payment. It was a return of the payment with interest. That leaves the homeowner with negative consideration, negative payment. So, in, in essence, the homeowner gets to pay for the, the profits that the securities brokerage firms or investment banks, you, whatever you want to call them, whatever they made. It is possible for the obligation to exist if the transaction is reformed, but I don't think it'll make any difference because even if the obligation still exists, it is offset completely by the payment of the uh, amount that was paid to the homeowner as a loan. So what I mean by that is, if you got a $300,000 loan, that and that's what you think, you didn't get a $300,000 loan, you got a $300,000 payment. And in exchange for that, you acknowledge the existence of a loan, even though there wasn't one. And you kept acknowledging it, by making payments. So it's the the how much you should have been paid for the security scheme which you started as a as a homeowner is potentially subject to um an evidentiary hearing in front of a judge. But the the investment banks are stuck with the fact that they already pegged the amount you should be paid. They paid you 300000 So if the obligation still exists, then the amount of money you did pay um, should be 
um, um, credited against that obligation the same as it would have been in a loan. But it's possible for both to exist. They may have an obligation to you or uh, you may have an obligation to them. The amount that you should have been paid might be determined to be less than the payment that they gave you. And the court may blend the transaction and call part of it a loan. I would pursue the, 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 the net bottom line of what I'm saying here is I would proceed, not pursue, I would proceed as though the obligation does not exist because they are never going to be able to offer proof of payment of value for the underlying obligation, which is absolutely required under Article 9, Section 203 for enforcement of a mortgage. Now, of course, enforcement of a mortgage is different than a note. It's even possible that they might have a right to enforce the note against a homeowner without being able to enforce the mortgage. Very technical stuff. But unless somebody's willing to do the research and reason it out and actually fit the facts of a particular case to what I'm saying, they're just going to get lost. If you try to use some bullet words and, and think that the judge is going to take it from there, you're wrong. The judge is, is doing that, but he's doing it for the other side. As soon as he hears that this is a foreclosure, he assumes that a loan exists. He assumes that that obligation still exists. He assumes that the claimant is the owner of that obligation. He assumes that you were making payments. He assumes that you stopped making payments. And because you were making payments, you, are, you were ratifying the fact that the obligation existed. Of course, you did that because you were being deceived and the... Uh, true nature of the uh, of the existence and ownership of the obligation were concealed from you. So uh, the next question, I think I already answered. Are you saying that my obligation no longer exists, or just that it cannot be enforced? I'm basically saying both. That and it's in. Uh, it's an and-or situation. I don't think that the obligation exists, and I don't think that even if it exists, it can be enforced because this negative um, consideration that was paid for it, and there's no such thing as negative consideration. But that's what happened. What are the for, uh, next question? What do the foreclosure mill lawyers need to prove? I think I already put this on the uh, uh, the blog. All they need to prove is what I said that the judge was assuming, and the way they they prove it is they don't have to show proof of payment. They don't have to show any transaction that can be confirmed or corroborated unless you ask for it. So all they need are facially valid documents 
and someone to come in and testify that they are a servicer, that they have a payment record, and you didn't pay. Now, I would raise one issue with that, that when the servicer comes in, the servicer never, ever says that this record of this so-called loan shows the establishment of the obligation on the ledger of any company as an asset receivable. Some judges will respond to that, and they have with me, because if there is no proof that the obligation exists other than the assumption because of the conduct of the, of the homeowner acting as a borrower, um, there, there may be some daylight in there where you can stop them from introducing any further evidence regarding the claim. They, 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 they don't need to prove an, an actual loss. It's implied. So your job as homeowner is questions in discovery that are very, very, very specific and well-worded and timely. In other words, within the rules. Asking for proof of all of these things that are being assumed and presumed. Now, when they don't answer, and they won't, they never do, then you file a motion to compel their answers. Most judges, about 75% at least, will grant the motion to compel. And they still won't answer. It's still up to you although there's some case law and some jurisdictions that says you don't have to do anything else, you can just uh, ask for the inference that the things you're asking for, the reason they're not uh, responding is that there is no such obligation and they don't own it. Uh, but in most cases, the judge will not be that proactive. So the next step that you need to do is file a motion for sanctions. And one of the sanctions you ask for is a negative inference. Now, before the judge does that, he's going to give them another chance, which means you're going to come in on a renewed motion for sanctions. And you might even file a motion in limine after that to prevent them from introducing any evidence that they that the obligation exists or that the, they have ownership of it because they have failed to respond to basic fundamental questions about the existence and ownership of the obligation. So, and okay, the next question I have is what what do I need to prove? The answer is you need to prove that you're persistent. Those who are persistent and who follow the line of reasoning that I have set forth in these shows and that I have detailed in real detail on my blog, livinglies.com, uh, 
www.livinglies.me or livinglies.wordpress.com. Those who persist and who don't get discouraged because they the other side doesn't just give up and walk away, but they persist until the, the end, they are the ones who actually achieve a successful result. They are the ones who sometimes get paid a lot of money to stay quiet. They are the ones who enter into settlement agreements where they agree to never reveal the existence of the lawsuit or what happened. So that's it for tonight. Thank you for being with me. And we'll be back on air next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.